0: Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode 10. One does not simply bury the ring. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkienverse ahead. So, let's get into it.
1: Today we are talking about chapter two of book two of Fellowship of the Ring, um, and we have finally made it to the Council of Elrond, which if you've engaged with this series in terms of movies or anything like that, this was probably one of the most iconic scenes. Um, And so what we get is that Frodo and Bilbo are both invited to this council that Elrond is having with people of import. Um, We get to see Some important elves show up, some important dwarves show up, um, and some important men. And we're introduced to some pretty uh, going-to-be-major characters like Boromir, um, briefly Gimli and Legolas as well. Um, And essentially what happens is that the council is brought together to decide what should happen with the ring. Uh, So first of all, what is the ring? Because apparently a lot of the people at the council aren't really aware of the backstory. And then they want to decide what they should do with it. Um, And everyone kind of has different ideas about that. So let's talk a little bit at first about the ring itself, since I think that's the center of these conversations. Um, So we find out a little bit more about what the ring is here um, from Elrond. And we also find out a little bit more about the other rings. And we basically learn uh, officially for the first time that you know that we had other rings created. There were nine that went to the men, seven that went to the dwarves, and three that went to the elves. And then this one kind of master ring. The nine that went to the men formed the ring wraiths uh, because they were corrupted by Sauron. The ones that went to the dwarves, um, I this one this part was kind of vague, but it sounds like Sauron kind of recovered a lot of them. Um and then the 3 that went to the elves have been hidden by the elves and are the only ones that are not corrupted by the power of the one ring. Um and we don't find this out but, you know, <laughs> lore master backstory, they they are currently wielded by Elrond, Galadriel and Gandalf.
2: So did the did the elves? This was like a little unclear. Like did the elves themselves actually make the 3 rings?
0: So
1: the rings were made by um I believe his
0: name is Celebrimbor. Here's my little lore tidbit to add, which is that Killebrimbor is a character in one of the Lord of the Rings video games, and so I'm pretty sure he's an elf, just because I think that's his backstory in the Lord of the Rings video game, is he's like an elf ghost who is attached to the human protagonist, and that's the only reason I know who he is.
2: Right, right. And these were, and they were created, I thought this was interesting, that they were, they were created, like, um, like, initially by elves, like, elves and dwarves were kind of collaborating on this project. And then Sauron kind of, like, kind of got in on it. And that's how he, that's how he began making rings himself, right?
1: Yeah, so it sounds like Celebrimbor kind of, like, hid the three rings that were for the elves because he suspected that Sauron was up to no good. Um... It kind of begs the question: Why he didn't tell anyone or try to save any of the other rings? Uh, s- some elf superiority complex, presumably. I think we talked in in maybe one of the first couple episodes about like how does Gandalf not understand what Bilbo has? And you know, one of the things that is presented is okay. Well, all of the rings of power kind of have the same uh, like powers. Like they all turn you invisible, um, and so. Gandalf was just like oh Bilbo's just found a ring of power after hearing the story that still seems fairly relevant and that he should have said something to someone but um we find out later too that he goes to uh to Gondor to you know read up on it what is what do the rings look like which one could this be because he starts to suspect something and it It turns out that this is actually the only ring without a gemstone. And obviously it also has the text on it. And then you're kind of just like, okay, well that's a pretty identifying characteristic. What are you doing Gandalf?
2: Well, and like, didn't Saruman, you you brought this up before, um, that Saruman actually has, has told Gandalf something to the, to that effect.
1: Yeah. He pretty much like at some point in time told Gandalf, oh, there's this one ring and it doesn't have a gemstone. Like look for it, I guess. And I think, The impression that I got is that Gandalf just, like, forgot about that conversation.
0: Well, I think the gemstone part is not necessarily sufficient for an identifying characteristic. And I had double-checked when we had talked about this earlier. Um, The thing about the letters being apparent in the fire... Is something he only learns from Isildur's letter, right? Right. So it's not like he knew about that part. Sure. Until and those only afterwards. come out like when
1: it's when it's in fire. So I can understand how that one slipped the radar. But
0: right, right.
2: I think what what Navia pointed out last time though was that um, you really only need like one qualifier to tell that you have like a, a serious ring on your hands, which is that the wearer
1: becomes invisible.
2: Yeah. And Gandalf already knew that. And he so, knew there I guess, was no like,
1: gem in there. At, even if he thought it was another ring, isn't it kind of important that Bilbo has a ring of power? Right, Especially yeah. considering <laughs> that they don't know where the other ones are. Like, they don't know where the seven dwarf rings are.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess it really sort of opens back up that question of, are there only the, uh, what is it, 20 rings of power described in the poem... Or are there other lesser rings of power that do also make you invisible but don't do anything else? Yeah. Because we don't, I mean, I don't think that's ever fully answered. It's sort of at times potentially implied both ways. But that's really the critical question for did Gandalf heck up or not.
1: Yeah, and I think that kind of leads into the rest of of this chapter too, because everybody at this council has different ideas of what they should do. And one of the, you know, one of the most vocal about their idea is Boromir, who has come from Gondor to tell them that, you know, Gondor has been protecting the rest of the world against Mordor for quite a while now, and they they kind of need a little bit of help. And um, his his kind of immediate instinct is let's use the Ring of Power. And, and my question Kind of comes back to like, what do you mean by use it? What does it do? How will it help you?
2: Well, they doesn't um, doesn't Gandalf or Elrond say in this chapter like uh, most people most people don't even have like the strength to wield the ring to actually use it for what it's possible to use it for, and then everybody else, um, even the people that like are are strong enough or powerful enough to wield the ring, um, would just be even more corrupted by its power if they had it. That's the that's the catch twenty-two of the one ring.
1: But they're so vague about the whole premise, like what it does, what it could happen to you if you wielded it. That is wielded the past tense of wield? Probably.
0: Well it's definitely not if you welded it. <laughs> if
1: you weld it. Uh, <laughs> no, if you they're so vague about the whole thing that like you start to really sympathize with Boromir's idea here where you're like, yeah, that's not a terrible plan, actually. Well, I just like on this topic, um,
2: uh, wait, were you going to go to Boromir or can I say something about the, the, um, yeah, yeah, no. what go the ahead, rings do? It. Well, I think like we were also kind of wondering what do the, what do the elf rings do?
1: Um, mm.
2: and I, I read something, I read something online, um, today about this. Um, hang on. Oh yeah. So, um, so essentially like the, so it says, um, The elves and other immortal beings dwell both in the earthly world and the spiritual world at one time. Um, uh, But um, their spirits, their spirits do not wane over time, but they become increasingly dependent on their physical bodies. Um, Therefore, uh, they created the elven rings out of a desire to preserve the physical world unchanged. As it were, in the undying lands of Valinor, without the rings, they are destined to eventually fade, becoming shadows in the physical world, prefiguring Ooh. the concept of elves as dwelling in a separate and often underground plane in historical European mythology. That's so that, very interesting. Yeah, the elven rings are supposed to like preserve the world as it is, so that the el- so it can continue to be a, um, a habitable place for elves.
0: I always sort of conceptualized the ring as being less about what it can do on its own, and more about what it does to a powerful enough user, wearer, whatever. Um, welder. because right? the elven... <laughs> yes, what it does to a powerful enough welder is it lets you just solder the shit out of anything. Um, right, but... I because I think, in hearing the description of the elven rings, even in the text as being they help heal and they help sort of preserve, that to me, that feels very fitting with what the elves themselves are as like qualities of their race. Um, and so I kind of like the idea that the ring, All of the rings might essentially magnify the properties of the individual who's wearing that particular ring and essentially broaden the scope Mm -hmm. right so if Sauron wears the ring then his sort of influence as somebody who spreads fear and anger and hatred and violence just magnifies Right, and people become more susceptible to that when they're in this radius of effect. Uh,
1: which, which does kind of lend credence to, you know, Gandalf's refusal to take the ring because he's kind of scared of what it would do to his power. hmm
0: Right, rather than it being, oh, and the ring lets you, like, specifically obliterate people at 50 miles distance. It's, no, it makes whatever you are more so.
1: Which kind of, like, it destroys Boromir's theory in the first place, because, like, you know, whoever would wield it in Gondor doesn't have any power, probably, as just a man. Boromir destroyed by Aragorn <laughs> arguments in Council of Elrond.
0: <laughs> well, and I mean, you could argue that, like, if Denethor... I don't Denithor know why I just <laughs>
1: found that so funny, Sorry. <laughs> <sighs>
2: Because uh, it's just, like, that, like, stupid stuff you see on, like, the related video article. side for it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Cancelled?
0: Uh. <Yeah. laughs>
1: Watch Boromir get totally pwned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Boromir, actually, because I think we all were surprised by how much we sympathized with him in this chapter. Um, first of all, he's hot let's let's just come out with that boromir's hot everyone. yeah they make
2: him really they make him really dirty in the book <laughs> right isn't that like is wait isn't that what you guys made you guys think that he was hot wait is like, he di- i just like yeah. no, he comes across dirty, as very though. strong and
1: mysterious
2: he is dirty he's
1: not he's he not is, dirty. he's he's
2: covered for he's covered with the grime of a 110 day journey
1: yeah, but they, they describe his like they beautiful furs and that, stuff though. that he's wearing. They do. They
0: do. <laughs> no, they do Okay, fact check time. I wanna see your sources. Quote me.
2: Alright, hang on a second. Hang on. Um
0: I've gotta defend the honor of Boromir. Also, the, the premise that like
1: dirty equals hot only applies to Aragorn <laughs> in the
0: record. <laughs> yeah, we are not just generally <laughs> attracted to people who are covered in mud. Uh,
2: <laughs> Imagine if we Yay. were,
0: though. <laughs> okay, wait, Wanda, did you find it?
2: Oh Yeah, all right. Um, I guess we've got a, it's a little column A, a little column B here. <laughs> um, seated a little apart from Thranduil was a tall man with a fair and noble face, dark-haired and gray-eyed okay now now that i'm reading this i can see that's probably what you guys were going to gray eyes
1: are always hot that's standard
2: yeah it's like oh you're dead um (laughs) proud and stern of glance he was cloaked and booted as if for a journey on horseback and indeed though his garments were rich and his cloak was lined with fur they were stained with long travel
1: okay Okay. so you took that one line (laughs) and decided he was dirty
0: <laughs> and I mean, like, arguably, okay, yes, Wanda was not wrong. Like, he's okay, a there little is some travel factual war.
1: evidence to some potential grime,
0: and also the the primary descriptor is not <laughs> <laughs> just a filthy, filthy man. A dirty, a dirty man was there. <laughs> he hadn't showered in weeks.
2: Boromir's like a pervert. <laughs>
0: Boromir just emerges like a little mole man, like just
1: Did you catch the moment when when Elrond just explained what Gondor is to Boromir in <laughs> the ultimate <laughs> mansplaining move?
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> he elf splained hard. Yeah, so Boromir's hot. Um and he's also right, I think. Um so
0: Boromir is so right. Yeah. And- Boromir should say it. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I felt really strongly about this.
1: So he he basically gives us this this description of Gondor making its last stand against Mordor over and over again, right? And so, for context, Gondor and Mordor are, like, right next to each other, which is kind of why this kingdom is defending their realm. Um, But Yeah, good job. You built your kingdom right next to Mordor. (laughs) I always think about that. Why would you do that? I think Mordor like invaded up to that point like it it didn't used to be right next to it major encroachment penalty oh god I gotta stop making football jokes on this podcast okay um
0: you haven't made a lot of football jokes on this podcast or if you have they've gone right over both of our heads I try
1: not to but yeah anyway um (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, they, you, they're you like made a right- Kawhi Leonard joke that I straight up
2: cut from one of the episodes. I know I, <laughs> I was
1: I, I listened to the whole episode waiting for it to come up, and I was like, "You cut it, didn't you?" <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Boromir is basically making this argument that like Gondor has been protecting everyone else for a really long time. They've gotten no help, which is unacceptable from everyone else's standpoint, and he's like, "Okay, like we can." keep doing this um we're very strong and you know we're awesome people but also we really could use some assistance and his his argument is basically like why are we not using the one thing we have
2: right he's basically saying like okay like we you know we have like maybe one like half of a friend in rohan um, that we've been able to call on in the past, up until now, the different kingdoms and the different societies within Middle Earth, um, uh, who are on the side of good, have been so fractured as to not even merit that qualification. Um, and now we're finally getting together. We're all like we're we're all in the same place for once. There's finally an opportunity to unify. So why not unify and like actually use this this like powerful weapon? I guess that's not really yeah. what he's saying.
1: Well, but- and the thing is like he's not even specifically saying let's use the ring, right? He brings up a few other options. He's like what about Narsil? Like that's a powerful sword. We should use that. And he basically is like picking on anything that could help. He's not just like, "Oh, I I I need the ring," right? Right.
2: Yeah, it's clear that like it it's it's very clear that like there is more there's more to Boromir than just this like um like power grubbing scoundrel that they paint him as in the movies, right? Where he's yeah. like um where he's like all the lines that he says at the Council of Elrond in the movies make him just like look and sound like like super evil. Like you're you you're meant to know from the very
1: beginning that there's like something kind of off about this person. Although he did say the name of this podcast at this point in the movies. <laughs> um This is where the name of our podcast comes from If you haven't seen the movies, this is where The iconic one does not simply walk Into Mordor scene happens, which is actually Conspicuously missing from the Book Um, Also, Wanda I feel like maybe he comes across as evil because Apparently Sean Bean just didn't remember his Lines at this point So he just kept looking down To read them off of like a little cheat sheet He had, which I think increases his Malice in the scene (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think Sean Bean, like, grows on you as a character in the movies, whereas here Boromir, like, starts out by being honorable. And also, by contrast, Aragorn does not come off well here. He basically lashes out at the implication that Gondor is the only one doing anything, and he's just like, how dare you? My rangers are basically the reason you're all alive, and um, I'm awesome, and also, I'm the heir to your throne. <laughs> like, I'm really know. not
2: picking up on the main point of what Boromir's saying.
1: Yeah, he's
2: for somebody. The point is that nobody has a good answer to what Boromir is 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 proposing. Actually, I think that's the most interesting thing about this chapter is that like Boromir has like a reasonable proposal, and
1: nobody even no- offers any help. Like, forget about the proposal of the ring or or the sword or whatever. Like, nobody is even like, oh yeah, we'll also send some food to Gondor or something.
0: Yeah, it it didn't give me a good feeling, this chapter. It there were parts of it that I got really annoyed by. Um and this was definitely one of them because I really felt for Boromir in terms of when he was talking about Gondor, it was very apparent that like he's not even necessarily asking for help. He's just trying to explain to everyone that this is what his city and his people are going through and they're struggling. And he just wants other people to acknowledge that they're struggling instead of just sort of paying lip service to like, oh yeah, thanks Gondor for like holding the pass basically against this great evil and not doing anything about it. And then Aragorn comes in and is like, oh, why would you feel good about anything that Gondor has done? Because if the rangers weren't out there... Like, people would still be in lots of trouble, and we don't feel the need to talk about it. Except that's exactly what he's doing.
2: Yeah, the real problem at this council is that you're proud of your people for being too good at defending defending this world <laughs> from Gondor.
0: Yeah, it's just... How dare you? Wait, from, from Mordor, not oh, from okay. Gondor. <laughs> from Mordor. <laughs> Very different plot, right? But, yeah, I just didn't... I went from, oh, I'm kind of coming around to Aragorn, straight to, if I had been there, I would have been yelling at Aragorn for
1: being a prick. I mean, for somebody who spends... He's just so, like... Yeah, for someone so who's, arrogant about it. And he spends all his time, like, trying to not be discovered as the heir of Isildur. But at every opportunity, he's telling people that he's the heir of Isildur. Also... He just straight up apparently tortured Gollum for several chapters. Oh,
0: God. Yeah, this this was that bad. also made me really uncomfortable because it's basically a war crime.
1: Yeah, so we get this description of, of Aragorn having captured Gollum and, like, trying to get information out of him about where the ring is, and he basically talks about how he didn't give Gollum food or water for, like, three days to make him talk, and then he just, like, puts him in prison with the elves of Mirkwood once he's gotten the information that he needs. And it just does not come off well, especially because we've already established Gollum in the book to be somewhat of a sympathetic character. Like, he's not just straight up evil in the way that Sauron is. And so seeing this kind of, like, treatment of what has been represented as a pretty pathetic person is is really well, rough. Then-
0: And honestly, even if he was straight up evil, depriving someone of food or water so that they talk to you is torture. Yes, still torture. also not necessarily going to be effective in getting accurate information. So, like, at that point, it's just cruelty for the sake of cruelty because people who are being tortured in general, right, will say whatever they need to say to try and make the torture stop. That's kind of how torture works. So it's like you're not even necessarily getting good information. you're just abusing someone who's in your power because you can.
1: I think this made me realize like how much of my impression of Aragorn is shaped by Vigo Mortensen's portrayal as opposed to like the character himself because yeah, this stuff is missing.
2: I'm so glad that you brought that up um i was gonna I was gonna steer a conversation that way too because it it does seem like um Aragorn's character in the Lord of the Rings movies is um you're you're really just supposed to love him in the way that like in the way that you love like Obama, right?
1: Like <laughs> <laughs> Obama uh, is the Aragorn of our age. Yeah, well, I feel
0: like maybe Indiana Jones or something is a <laughs> parallel than obama who was historically a president that got met with a lot of racist bullshit but you were supposed
1: to love him
2: you're you're supposed to like he's not really supposed to have any like major character flaws um you know that would like the the notion that he is like like the I'm saying this really badly, but um, I feel like Aragorn in the movies is reflective of a certain kind of like idealized form of leader, right? Almost as if we're only, we're only really comfortable like um, putting like a fantasy king in a movie as long as we can like say he's like, oh, he's like a really, really good guy. It's okay that he's like a monarch because he's like a really good guy.
1: It's interesting um, that you say that, actually, because we we see several other, like, leaders in, in these characters and in these movies, and, like, most of the rest of them are actually represented as fairly flawed. Like, Theoden, probably the most uh, immediate example of, like, he definitely, he is a good king, but, like, he has some definite flaws, and I, it, it's almost like, I think Tolkien was trying to put subtlety into Aragorn's character, and then, like, more for the sake of making him attractive, I think, than making him a king, like, they just cut that out.
2: Right, right, no, yeah, you that's, mean in that's the kind of what I meant, they like, cut for, that out?
1: yeah, in the movie, that's what you meant, right, Navia? Yeah, like, I feel like in the movie, they were like, well, this guy has to be hot. Right.
0: I don't know that... That's why I, I mean, I, I think they did do that. I don't know if I think that's why they did that. I think they did that because we've seen it happen with all of the other characters too. I mean, we've talked about it repeatedly that all of the characters get flattened out a little bit and are a little less nuanced in the movies. And it's because they're movies, right? There's only so much time you can spend on character moments. And I think Aragorn's sort of flattening was into a very heroic archetype Mm -hmm. that doesn't get the same sort of oh, he's got flaws that show up in the books.
2: I guess what I'm saying, like the reason that I called him like an Obama character was because he was supposed to be extra likable because he didn't want to be king. And that was supposed to like, in some some kind of counterintuitive way, make you really want him to be king.
1: He actually hasn't said much in the book yet
2: about not wanting to be king. Right, he just does these like teasers about himself being the heir to Isildur every once in a while.
1: Yeah, it seems like he's just, taking his time in terms of, like, claiming his throne, but he hasn't said anything about how, like, it's not for him or anything.
0: Yeah. Which, honestly, in its absence, like, we're sort of giving him we have multiple times thus far talked about, like, oh, he's trying to sort of keep his identity secret and not accept it. But we don't really understand why, and I'm hoping at some point we get a better sense for why, because otherwise right now, like, that's another sort of check mark in the negative column for me of, you have this responsibility and you know you have this responsibility and you're just just faffing around (laughs) like, (laughs) killing monsters in the wilderness, which is totally, like, but it really feels very immature, you know, in the sense of If you have a responsibility to a people and you're going to then also sit there and critique somebody else who has taken on that responsibility
1: for you while you're just like fucking around in the wilderness. I felt the same way about everyone else who was at this council because I I had forgotten that this many people were there and I immediately judged everyone who didn't volunteer for the fellowship. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, i mean i wasn't exactly expecting like elron Stewart, who is there to yeah, well, like you know where's volunteer. where's uh
1: what's his name gildor is it gildor or is it the other guy gildor is there that's true yeah. um like okay gloin is probably <laughs> yes i'm gonna insist on calling him gloin um he's probably too old so i guess he sends his son but i don't know there's a lot of people here that i'm just like um I get if you if you didn't all get included in the fellowship, but like at least volunteer.
0: Well, but they haven't gotten to that part yet, right? No, like no, they well, haven't yeah, decided the other members of the fellowship. That's so true. I, I should could,
1: get ahead of myself because in this chapter, they don't actually form the fellowship yet.
0: Right, and it. I think it'll depend when we get to that chapter whether or not it's something like the council decided that these people should go with them versus these people volunteered to go and everybody else just sat there quietly avoiding eye contact. Yeah, my guess is that it's not actually like the
1: Olympics or whatever in this it like doesn't
0: Are you do, saying it that it the...
1: doesn't happen in the you have my sword and my axe kind of thing?
0: <laughs> you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not.
1: We'll we'll see. We'll see. I, I actually don't remember. Does, I don't remember whether that happens or not. So I guess I'm excited yeah. now to read the next chapter.
0: I mean, again, like Elrond, St- I'm pretty sure Elron Stewart is there. So like, what's he gonna offer? You have my accounting books. <laughs> you know, like, there are people who shouldn't volunteer. Sorry, there are people I hit my mic. So I'm gonna say that again. There are people who shouldn't volunteer for this particular kind of quest, right? Like if I sat there and I went, my skill set is going to be more useful to a war effort if I am crunching numbers and planning supply lines and doing that logistical
1: stuff I love because that this I'm is a what you weakling. Think, I love this is what you think that L. Ron Stewart does. He's just an accountant.
0: <laughs> That's what stewards do. They do like property management for an estate. That's right. That
2: that would be good fit. Fa- I would read that fan fiction. Fan fiction about Elrond Stewart trying to justify to himself why he
1: didn't volunteer for the fellowship. It's like the numbers aren't adding up this month, Elrond. <laughs> what?
0: Hang on. Navia, what do you think stewards do?
1: I I guess I didn't know because I always assumed that a steward was basically just like the person who is in charge if the leader isn't around. Like that's what Denethor does.
0: Ah. Uh, I- Yes, he is steward of Gondor, but he's not someone's like household steward. Okay. So I guess it depends on context, right? I'm more familiar with it from, quite honestly, like, Regency novels, where when it shows up, it's basically in the context of, like, a lord has a steward, and the steward is his property manager.
1: Gotcha. Right? Okay.
0: And that sort of person should not be going off to war, Whereas like the steward of Gondor has a very different set of responsibilities. Do you think that guy
2: do you think the Elrond Stewart has had that job for like thousands of years?
1: <laughs> I guess they're immortal so
0: presumably.
1: <laughs> yeah, like how did how does anything work in Elfland where like nobody ever dies so then no new jobs are created?
0: I guess what we have to ask is, is Rivendell a capitalist society?
1: So I just Googled steward and there are two main definitions. It's either a person responsible for supplies, um, like supervising arrangements or keeping order, like you said. And then the other one is the definition of the steward as an office, which is an official who is appointed by the legal ruling monarch to represent them. Uh, in a country and who may have a mandate to govern it in their name. So, both apply. Um, But yeah, I... (laughs) What were we talking about? Uh,
0: Whether or not people who didn't volunteer for the fellowship should be pushed off a waterfall. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay, real quick, though, I do want to talk about what they decide to do because uh, the council... They don't form the fellowship yet, but they do decide to destroy the ring. Um, and we get some really funny <laughs> suggestions. Yeah, over here. some
2: other other very practical sounding suggestions.
1: Yeah, I, I think our favorite was like, "Why don't we throw it into the sea?"
0: <laughs> oh, it's such a bad idea. Throwing it into the sea is such a bad idea.
2: I'm not sure it's a bad idea. I mean, I think I understand your you have you you're worried about sea monsters, but I think in general. Um, there's a way that you could throw it, or at least bury it beneath the sea floor.
0: In with what, though? Like it's not like we've got some Pirates of the Caribbean skeletons who can. And, <laughs> and nobody, as far as I know, in Lord of the Rings has a submarine
2: <laughs> <laughs> or bury it. Right. I, I mean, I mean, I think like the like what I'm saying is like bury it
1: anywhere. There's got to um, be like a wizard who can send it to the bottom of the sea, right?
0: Yeah, but would it stay there, right? Like that's the issue, honestly. Like jokes about a giant squid with the ring of power, aside, which would be horrifying. Yeah, no. The, of the course. premise is
1: the but ring wants to be found. Squid wraith.
0: Squid it. Amazing. Squidward
2: um, with the ring. It's actually, it's like Spongebob. It's like a Spongebob L-O-T-R crossover.
1: Yeah, this is like a new Spongebob conspiracy theory where like actually the reason that they can all talk is because the ring is there. <laughs> 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 um, my favorite part about this this uh throw it into the sea idea is that one of the reasons they decide not to do it is because they're like no the the road to the sea is too dangerous but then they decide to take the damn ring to mordor which is way more dangerous they
2: they decide that that's exactly what uh that's exactly what sauron would think that they were gonna do They're like, oh, that's we can't we can't throw it into the sea because that's that's just what he wants us to try to do.
1: (laughs) This is it's like I'm gonna make another football joke here just in case any of our our fans like football. But it's like when Pete Carroll runs the ball on every down because he's like, they'll think we're gonna throw it, but what if I run? (laughs) Uh,
0: I also, I mean, it feels very Princess Bride in the you know, which cup has the poison in it, like. I know that you know that I know <laughs> that you want me to take the ring to the sea, and Presumably, <laughs> so I'm not.
1: Presumably Sauron knows how the ring can be destroyed, right? He probably, if I mean, if these guys can figure it out, Sauron probably knows. And so he, I, I don't think his expectation is they're going to throw it into the sea. I think his expectation is I better guard Mount Doom because they're going to come here.
2: I mean also isn't I better guard Mount Doom kind of it's like that's that's just that's just his everyday MO.
1: Yeah, it's true. He's always watching over it, right? Right. Right. How did Frodo get to Mordor given all of this? Sam. Yeah. That's that's how. <laughs> Sam and definitely not the eagles who could have just flown them there. Ah. <sighs> I I know, look, there's
0: so many things about the eagles out there. And at the same time, it's still like you read about it in this chapter and you just why? For anyone
1: who is curious about this, please just Google, why didn't the eagles fly Frodo into Mordor? There is like a PhD thesis about it. But I, I disagree with all of the premises. I still think that this is a huge plot hole.
2: I mean, I think that, like, what, what I got from this chapter was that if you're looking for, like, a plot hole to find Lord of the Rings, you, you need not bring up the eagles, which, like, most people don't know about. And you can just say, why didn't they bury it?
1: <laughs> I'm, I, like, I, no, hold on. I, I genuinely, why are you so stuck on burying it? Because, like, isn't the whole thing that the ring wants to be found and so it's just gonna be found by someone even if it's buried?
2: Well, maybe in like two thousand more years, but this is about. But that's detente. the
1: problem. That's how we got here, right? Is because like, Isildur dropped it in a in a river or something, and then Gollum accidentally found it.
2: I mean, I I uh, I majored in political economy, and I just want to say <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, um, like, teasing that the ring has been found, waiting for Sauron to summon his forces, burying the ring again while also destroying the forces, and then repeating that ad infinitum is not a bad strategy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think it assumes that you have the resources to challenge Sauron's forces. And I don't know that, yeah. It, I don't know that they think they do. Yeah, I mean, the you men, men of Gondor need, are like, decimated. More coordination and...
2: than, these, like, than these these civilizations appear to have together. Which, by the way, did you guys catch the part where um, where Gloin talks about how Balin had gone into Moria. Balin went into Moria looking for the dwarfs' rings I think yes this and, was interesting and then Gandalf is like oh didn't she know that those rings were like hidden slash destroyed long ago and there's like this nobody like Tolkien does not write Glóin's reaction to that but that's like like I thought it was like kind of funny that like like Balin went in there and
1: like like someone who could have just told him <laughs> yeah yeah I, th- I guess like none of them talk to each other but I did think that was I, I actually thought that Balin was in Moria like establishing a kingdom because that's kind of how it comes across in the movies but this makes a lot more sense um, and also I feel like like Glorin's reaction was probably just like oh no <laughs> <laughs> um, Gloin uh, sad <laughs> I Okay, I did want to briefly talk about um, Gandalf and his story as well. Um, so, Gandalf basically goes to Saruman uh, because Radagast, another wizard, um, sends him, basically comes to him with a message from Saruman being like, yo, he's summoning you, something important has happened. And so, Gandalf goes to visit him and... Somehow doesn't immediately make a run for it, given that Saruman is being super sketched the whole time and just, like, dissing him constantly. Um, and, and then, predictably, <laughs> Saruman has turned evil and captures Gandalf and holds him prisoner until, guess who? The eagles rescue him! Can
0: we talk about Saruman's pitch for Gandalf to join him? Because I just found this such a bad come over to the dark side villain speech because he's like he insults one of their shared colleagues radagast the brown he basically says like oh well gandalf the wise doesn't think he needs help and is like very sarcastic and biting and sort of rude to gandalf and then he's like join me we could do such great things together and i'm like you just led with being a jerk, and now you're saying, "Ah, oh, come be buddy buddy with me!" Like it, something about that did not feel like Saruman had thought it through.
2: Yeah, yeah it's not a re- it's not a realistic for a diplomatic proposal.
0: No, I
1: think his no, his, his pitch was pretty much just like, "It's too late, join me."
0: Yeah. It was maybe he maybe he thinks compelling. that Gandalf has
1: the same like self-preservation instincts that he does
0: but he's not even really threatening to harm Gandalf if Gandalf doesn't join him no it's
1: more like a all is lost so preserve yourself and join me
2: and uh, yeah as a as like a side benefit you'll get to rule the world with me and there's also like there's also a um an element of
1: Wizards should be in charge, so here's how we get in charge. Ooh, more superiority complexes. I did. There was a there was a line in this that I was really triggered by, um, which was like Saruman was talking about. I think he was talking about like how he's no longer Saruman the White or something, and um, Gandalf says, "He that breaks a thing to find out what it has left." Where? Sorry. He that breaks a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom. Um, I hated this line. This is untrue. If you are an engineer or know any engineers, this is all we do. We break things in order to find out what they are. Um, I I don't know. Yes, and you have left the path of wisdom. Apparently. Apparently, uh, we just should leave everything alone and never find out how it works. I don't, like, come on, Gandalf. Have some curiosity about life. I think you've left the path of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I shouldn't have brought this up with two non-engineers.
2: <laughs> no. I uh I don't know. I mean, I'm I how do you, I I'm not sure how I feel about this about this quote. It sounds nice. I put it down in my notes as one of like what I thought
1: were like the most eloquent phrases in the chapter. He says it very um, eloquently. I just don't like what he's implying, which is like don't have any curiosity about life. Right, right. Because because Saruman says, um, "I'm no longer the white.
2: I'm Saruman of many colors." Um, and then he like holds up his cloak, and Gandalf sees that it's actually like a it's like a multicolored cloak that appears to be white. <laughs> it right? is the
1: technical dream coat.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right, which implies that Saruman has invented some more Saruman has invented some more like modern things like polyester and stuff.
0: <laughs> I didn't read it though as like don't have curiosity. I read it as there are plenty of ways to explore the world and to find out and to learn that don't involve doing harm. And anybody who says that doing harm is the way to like it's not necessarily Talking about sort of small scale breaking, right? Or like breaking in a way that, it, like, there's a difference for me between taking something apart or finding where like the stress points are versus I'm going to break this thing irreparably, right? And that's like, so to me, to say like a software breaking is very different from society breaking
1: he's a scientist
2: right and he's he's been prepared for this in a way that Gandalf was not prepared for a long time Mm -hmm. and that he's like the he's like the major um, he's up on on ring lore in a way that Gandalf is not Gandalf is late to the game
1: yeah I think in the movie um, there's a line that he says at this point to Gandalf, where he's like, you've been smoking too much of the hobbit, or, of the halfling's leaf, or something like that, and basically the accusation is, like, you've been just, like, sleeping away your time, like, being all idyllic and hobbiton, and while, you know, he's saying it in a mean way, like, he's a little bit right, in a way, where Gandalf has has spent some time not, not kind of doing his responsibility as a wizard in this world, because he just found a place that makes him happy.
0: Still stuck on calling Saruman a scientist as a way to excuse, uh, and maybe you weren't trying to excuse his behavior, but I think that's, like, very dangerous territory to get into to say that the quest for knowledge is something we can sort of point at and go, yeah, but he was trying to learn, because then you have to look at, like, all of the scientists who did really horrible human experiments, like, without any sort of care for the, the people whose lives they were affecting. I mean, that happened, again, thinking about, like, the Holocaust, but even here in the U.S. with, like, the syphilis studies in the U.S., where it was like they're trying to learn, right? And they're theoretically trying to learn in a way that is even intended to help people somewhere down the line understand this disease so that we can cure it. And in the process, they infected, like, either tens or hundreds of un- knowing unwilling people. Yeah, which is absolutely obviously
1: horrific. And but I think the line has to be somewhere in the middle of those two things, right? We can't just say like excuse everything in the name of science, but nor can we say don't push any boundaries, leave everything as the status quo. Like neither of those are the the answer.
2: There's actually like a lot of the I mean, I I would say Ashani all of the all of the problematic parts of of science that you've raised um are actually make the, the comparison I think even more apt, right? And um, like because like you know we, we can imagine Saruman as someone who is looking for more knowledge, looking to push the boundaries of knowledge. Um, but because he he doesn't consider um, he doesn't consider an alliance with Sauron to be off like off bounds or off limits um, in his quest. Uh, and he doesn't consider kind of the accrual of power to be off limits, then that, that, that's, that's how he gets tripped up. I mean, and also like earlier in the chapter, um, Elrond is talking about how the rings were made. And he says, uh, it says, uh, if I can quote here, many eyes were turned to Elrond in fear and wonder, as he told of the elven smiths of Eregion and their friendship with Moria and their eagerness for knowledge by which Sauron ensnared them.
1: Yeah, I, Actually, the more I think about this, like, this is a super apt comparison because essentially Sauron's argument is that the ends justify the means, right? Like, he says something about how the age of elves is over and it's time for the age of men. And his implication, I think, is that, like, this, this race of elves has been in power for too long and they haven't really helped anyone and they kind of ignore the other races and their plight. And so now it's time to kind of stick it to them, I guess. But um like, there's a sliver of, of truth in what he's saying, which is that the elves have kind of been sleeping on this world. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the elves definitely have not been sort of concerned with the well-being of non-elves, uh, And that is certainly a problem, right? And at the same time, I sort of sit here and go, like, scientist he may be, right? Like, it doesn't, I don't disagree. Like, I think that comparison is an apt one for Saruman. I just don't think he's the sort of scientist that we want to even say, like, in the pursuit of science, he deserves any respect for that.
1: No, not, not at all. I mean, but I think, like, the word scientist doesn't have a connotation of whether it's good or bad, right? you could have yeah. good scientists no, and scientists. I, and bad I don't scientists, think it so. does. So, I, I guess, like... Well, for
2: some people, it does. People <laughs> who are like, I fucking I, well, love science. Uh. There
1: are people like that. But I think, more importantly, like... The, the point that I was trying to make isn't necessarily that we should respect what Saruman is doing, but more that, like... There is, you know... I think the reason he's so dangerous as a character is because there are these like underlying slivers of truth in what he does.
2: It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting, like open, like a thing to leave open, right? Uh, The question of what these books say about the accrual of knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge and the ways in which that can become corrupted um, or might be like an inherently flawed pursuit. I think, I think these, I think the book um, kind of, pries open some of these or or, or, like leaves these questions like there on the table to be pried open and played with in a way that the movies don't.
1: Yeah, this is the reason I'm really enjoying rereading these books, honestly, is because there is so many of these questions that aren't answered in them that like it's almost like deliberately he was just posing these these questions to us. I think that's probably a good place to wrap up today. So uh, take it away, Shawnee. Thanks for listening to One Does Not
0: Simply. This episode was edited by Navia. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all of our listeners for joining us on this journey.
1: I have football to watch. All right. (laughs) More? Bitch, those games all day. It's Sunday. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Okay. Sunday. 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 (laughs) Sunday. (laughs) Sunday.